You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the podcast today. We're so excited that you're joining us. So we have our guest, Luke Gordon, with us today. We're continuing the conversation that we posted last week, which was a conversation between Luke and Alana that they had on disclosures. And we wanted to continue that, carry it on, and talk about the relational skills that tend to be the missing piece in a lot of this work that many of you are doing right now. So welcome, Luke. We're glad to have you back with us talking today. So Alana, where do we want to start today? Because we've got so many different aspects, but really this relational skills, the emotional connection that often is missing after a disclosure, everything's out on the table, you're working it out, but something's still not working is the thought that either could have right now. Like, look, we just got this all on table. We're supposed to be better right now. Why isn't this working? And today we're going to talk about why that isn't working. Correct? (laughs) Yes. And first of all, the reason why it's not working can vary wildly. So I just want to put it out there that Even last week when we had our episode where we called it the missing piece of recovery, it's one of possibly many missing pieces. So even today's discussion that we're having, while we see it often come up with our couples and our individuals that we're working with, doesn't necessarily mean this is the answer for you. So simply the answer is it depends, but what I want you to do is I want you to listen and pull out what works for you and what feels right. This is so common though, where like last week, where we talked about, we see often these couples who are years and years in, who are both working hard and both have been meeting with therapists or both have been doing different recovery groups. And they're just not figuring out how to come together and how to connect and what's missing. So last week we talked a little bit about the shame that really both can feel, but a lot of times there's a lot of shame that comes with sexual addiction. And it's so deep embedded and sometimes it's so hard to see. So there was that piece of it. And then we also talked about just not having that full transparency and the importance of that full therapeutic disclosure. But after that episode came out, I could not get off of my mind that while those are missing pieces, a huge missing piece that I tend to see in my work is individuals men and women alike who are doing all of these like checklist box things of like, okay, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And they're checking all of the boxes, but they're still not doing that deeper emotional work of first really knowing and connecting to themselves and their feelings and their experiences and processing through them. And then being able to share that with their partner in a vulnerable way. So we want to talk about just a little bit today about what that looks like and how to do it. And we kind of reference this a little bit in our episodes back with Sam Telemans, but today we're going to talk about it more through the lens of individually, 
what he can be working on and what she can be working on that will really help build a nice foundation for any future relational work. Yeah, I think this is pretty huge. And and I'm just going to throw this out there because as I'm listening and I'm trying to put myself in this situation as the betrayed and okay, we've just had the disclosure. And yet in my mind, I'm thinking it's still not working. I'm still not feeling connected. I'm still not feeling connected. And I would imagine my brain going to the, it's still his fault. He's still not doing something right. You know, what's going on. I tend to, I I would imagine my brain still blaming the addiction and the porn and whatever is happening and not take a step back and maybe take that out for a minute and really look underneath and see what's really happening here. That's where my brain would go. So I'm glad you brought that up, Amy. So one of the things that I felt in my journey was that if Alana can hear my list of dirty deeds, we'll call them, if a period of time that goes by, if I stay owning those, and acknowledging that those happened. And if I let enough time and space get by, everything will get better, you know, assuming I don't do them anymore. So that porn free environment, it was logical to me that if I had that, my relationship would heal because that's what broke my relationship with my wife. I found that not to be true. And working with many men, I can see this is a big stuck point that they have, which is a ton of confusion around, it's been a really long time since I've acted out and my wife is still not okay. And our relationship is still not okay. And I'm really confused. And I have empathy for them. Obviously I have empathy for the spouse, but I have empathy for those men that are just confused. And that porn free environment I remember, well, let's go back to the uh, funny piece, which was not funny at the moment. We, we can laugh a little bit about it now, which is me getting 90 days of sobriety, 120 days, six months, a year. And you know who the first person I wanted to tell was? It was always Alana. Okay. Second favorite person to tell was my therapist. And I remember being very disappointed when I would tell Alana, like, hey, I wanted to celebrate with her the year mark. When we joke about it now, she's like, you seriously, you thought I was going to give you a high five for not looking at porn. That's just the deal in our relationship. (laughs) Don't get, don't expect me to get excited that you're not looking at porn. Right. So when I would tell my therapist and he would be like, congratulations and welcome to the first day of the rest of your recovery. So I'm like, geez, this is never going to be enough for anybody. In that phrase right there. Congratulations. That's awesome, man. Now, welcome to the rest of your recovery. He told you that multiple times along your journey where he was like, okay, here's your high fives and we're not stopping the work. We're going to keep progressing forward. This is not where we're going to camp out and now stay forever. Yeah. So those people that are listening, and this resonates at all, like it's been a long period of time, but our marriage is not getting any better. What I want to point out there are something called residual addict behaviors. Okay. Which is Amy was referencing. What's the underneath stuff? Why isn't it getting better? Because the porn isn't the problem. It's the solution to my problem. The problem is I'm selfish. I can't look outside of myself at any other person's needs. It's about me not knowing how to handle loneliness, boredom. I I have anxiety. I, I feel like I need to please other people that my wife always needs to be happy for me to be happy. 
all these things, all these emotional, I'm in emotional turmoil and I don't run to porn anymore, but I also noticed that my coping mechanisms are affecting those that are close around me. They're making them nervous. There's a training from AppSats. They train therapists and coaches on how to help those who are betrayed in betrayal trauma. And they said, our belief is that partner trauma is associated with so much more than the discovery of acting out behaviors. It is also associated with the accompanying relational patterns of behavior seen in those active in sexual addiction and early recovery. Just like you both were saying, like it's so much more than the acting out behaviors. While those are very painful, even when we remove those away, if that's the only thing we remove, we still have a massive issue because there's these relational patterns of behavior that often have been there the entire relationship. Yeah. Before yeah. they even got married, yeah. right? Before they even got married. Like, as you guys are talking, I am just thinking about my YSA class that I teach for these young single adult women. Mm. And we take two weeks to talk about the levels of intimacy. We just had Ashley on talking about levels of intimacy. These concepts are not talked about. They're not taught before you get married. And so, yeah, take everything away. You're walking into marriage, not knowing this already. Then you add everything else, the trauma on top of it. So yeah, no wonder why it feels like hell. Let me tell you the most common one that I hear all the time, which is a wife say, I just want connection. I just want him to feel. And every time he does, he just walls off. He just shuts down. He can't even talk to me. What the guy says is she won't stop yelling at me. Like she won't, she wants me to talk to her, but she's yelling the whole time. I don't know how to connect to her. I don't know what this looks like. So they're speaking and he doesn't know how to connect and she's begging for a connection. She gets louder and louder with wanting to connect and he walls and walls off more and more. So that has probably always been there. It's just all of a sudden the D-Day made it come to the surface of the fact of we got bigger problems here that need to be solved. And I'm not okay with just the porn part. I'm, I have a problem with you not being able to connect at all. No, excuse me. Okay. So as you're talking, I'm picturing this. So there's an amazing book, Fierce Intimacy by Terry Real. And he starts to describe, I actually had to draw it out because as I was talking or as he was talking about it, I'm like, whoa, this is pretty amazing. And I had to draw this out, but it's basically he draws this T and he's talking about how important it is for us to get to this place where we have healthy boundaries and healthy self-worth. And when you have healthy boundaries and healthy self-worth, then you can have healthy connection with yourself, but other people as well. And when you just were talking about he's walled off and she's, it sounds like she's in this like grandiose state of I'm better. You're the one that acted out. You're the one that did this. So I'm better and maybe no boundaries, whatever. And then he's walled off and in shame. And it's just reminding me. So if you haven't read this book, it's an amazing book, Fierce Intimacy by Terry Real. But it's just reminding me of this, uh, cross that he was talking about. And that makes total sense right now, as you're saying this, Luke, why you've got so many issues happening. And the other thing that came to mind is why it's so important for each of you to do your own separate work and rebuild that healthy self-worth and learn how to have healthy boundaries. Cause this kind of plays into having healthy connection as well. Right? Yeah. And I want to point out the power dynamic. I know we talk a lot about this or at least Alana and I do. 
and early on a guy will be like I'll just do whatever and I'll whatever it takes to save my marriage like she can yell at me she can scream at me she can be angry frustrated she can ask me to leave and there's a place of humility but what he's done is he's he can have that turn into what we talk about where she he places her on a pedestal that he does whatever she asks for him to do okay mm-hmm. but what he's not doing is doing it for him because it fits within his value system of being connected hearing her pain the restitution piece of it not just so she can be happy or she can be easier to live with if he does all that stuff hmm. okay hold and- on so important yeah, yeah well because <laughs> It's almost then he's doing it for selfish reasons. If he's only doing it to make her happy and so she's less escalated, then is he doing it simply because he wants his life easier? And so what you're talking about right there where he has to do the work because that's actually what he wants because he wants to live within his value system and he wants to figure out and how to grow as a man and move forward. That is totally different and he can still do whatever it takes and invest fully in the marriage with that attitude. But that takes him out of this place of, I just want to do whatever I can really to manipulate her feelings. So she becomes happy again. So we can go back to the way that it was. That type of formula is not going to work. So we have to step back at some point, the guy does and go, do I want to even be in this relationship? Do I see it worth it long-term for me to be there? Because I'm willing to put the investment in for the long-term benefit. And what I've noticed in this marriage, and this is still him thinking, is that connection's part of the deal now. I've noticed I didn't know what connection looked like because I was in addiction. Now I've noticed connection is a part of it. And she's asking for that. And I don't know how to get there, at least to her level. So I've got to decide that for myself. What is connection? Do I want to seek to understand this? Is what she's looking for possible to what level and what does healthy look like for me i've got a guy that i'm working with and he's just like relationships are so hard and he was exhausted he was so tired and i'm like yeah it would probably be easier for you to go move to canada and build a log cabin and go go be by yourself (laughs) and and he's like yeah it, it feels like it would be right now i'm like well why don't you do that and i'm not trying to convince him to do it I'm just trying to get him to recognize he has a choice because as long as he puts in that power dynamic of she's in charge, she's in control, I have no choice but to listen to what she says. You can't show up and have empathy. Exactly. Yeah. You can't have that empathy because you're in this place where it's kind of a victim mindset where you feel like all of these things are happening to you. And so men sometimes give away their power in this way is where they look at her boundaries and they go, she's so controlling. She's doing this to me. She's doing this to me. But the reality is she isn't. She is saying, these are the things that I need for safety. And you, partner, get to choose whether that's the type of relationship you want. And if you don't, you don't have to stay in that relationship. And this, I know, sounds harsh, but she gets to choose for herself what type of relationship she wants to be in. And you get to choose if you are willing to create that safety for the sake of maintaining that relationship. And so she's not controlling you. She is saying for herself what she needs for safety. You get to choose whether you want to invest in that or not. Totally. 
Because so, you're giving your power away to other people. And I can appreciate the fact that he's like, okay, seriously, Luke, I don't have any control. Am I going to really go move to Canada and go build a log cabin? Yes and no. Okay. Maybe not tomorrow, but your choice in being here is really important for your ability to be able to show up. And the long-term, what you're paying, this is not a quick fix. So that power dynamic's important. It's really interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking, gosh, He's given her all the power and I work with some women that I think love that. Now they have the power and they're kind of like puppeteering him. And that feels good when you've been betrayed. It feels good when you've been abused or whatever's happened to you. And I can see women kind of now like, haha, now he's going to do what I want. Now I have control. And that's an interesting dynamic, right? Yeah. I, I want to jump in here because honestly, when I'm starting to work with couples who are going through betrayal, trauma, and addiction recovery, I will say, look, I'm going to give her a power for a while. I'm going to put her in the power seat because as she's trying to create safety for herself and to tap into this part where she's had no power, and mm-hmm. obviously it looks different for different couples, I will put her in the power seat, but I will let them know that while we're doing this, we're doing this to reestablish safety. We're doing this because I want you partner who strayed to show her that you are completely invested and to give her more say and help her feel like she does have some control when so much of this has felt so powerless. But this is again, not our final destination. Right, and it's not the power to do, here's, So the power, I guess the puppeteering was like, you're going to do what I say. And if you don't, then we're done. That's what I hear a lot. Mm. It's not the healthy kind of power. It's the power to control the more vindictive kind of, (laughs) I want to get you back. I'm still upset at this. Mm. And so I see that happening a little bit. So two different, I guess, powers. (laughs) Yeah. And, and looking at your intentions behind it, right? Yeah. Is it, Am I doing this because I'm trying to regain my footing and get a sense of control and stability and safety in my life? Or am I doing this because I'm angry at him and now I want him to do what I'm saying and to put me in the driver's seat moving forward? I want to speak to the guys here, whoever's listening. The identity, and obviously I've been speaking to you the whole time. Identity is so important here. So listen to what Alana said on that. For the first little while, she's in the driver's seat because you don't have the ability to keep her safe or yourself safe, okay? Mm-hmm. So as you ground to your identity and ground to God, if God's something you believe in, as you anchor to that, there is going to become a, a time and a place where your identity will rise up and she won't need to be in the driver's seat anymore with creating her own safety. But for her to let go of that and to start to trust you again, you have to be, you have to stick there and you have to be willing to be patient for that transition, that process. And also your ability to stick to your own values and what you believe, it's going to rock her world a little bit and you have to be patient with that process. And to speak to some of the women out there now, letting your husband, when you've seen that he's worked an increased safety with himself and he's also emotionally aware is very important that he starts to run his own recovery in so many different ways Mm -hmm. and to be okay with screwing it up 
and not doing a very good job sometimes. Mm. It's just like a child learning again how to navigate certain parts of being a grown up. They're not going to get it right all the time. And it's important to step out of the driver's seat in some ways to let him experience that. In our men's group, at one point, we were talking to the guys about rediscovery and rediscovering what healthy looks like and rediscovering this. And one of the guys just piped in and he said, this is all brand new for me. This is discovery work for me. I didn't know that I even needed to be aware of my feelings. I didn't know how to be empathetic with my wife. I didn't know how to be vulnerable with her or that I even needed to. So he said, there's no rediscovery here. This is all discovery work. And I thought about that statement many times since of that's where the humility comes in is he had to be, and these men who haven't learned this for cultural reasons, for, because of the addiction, for whatever reason, haven't learned this, that they're willing to be humble enough to say, okay, the way that I thought it worked wasn't actually working. So I need to figure out new skills and I need to learn to figure out a new way of relating. We're talking about all new patterns, all new skills, all new emotional awareness. It's a period of discovery. And this discovery leads to so many awesome benefits. Like the work is so worth it. But when you're starting it out, like you said, Luke, with your client, it is so emotionally hard. It's so important to start doing this because I can see in the woman that I work with where it's like the husband's at this point where he's doing he's doing really well in his recovery. It's been quite a while and trust is starting to be rebuilt, but because he doesn't know how to have empathy for her experience, what I've noticed is that women now are still feeling that disconnection. They're still feeling a lot of the negative emotion with this. And now they're starting to tank because they're like, I just, I need to be done. I need to be done with this. Why am I still feeling the negative emotion? Why am I still feeling this way? They're wanting the connection. They're wanting the empathy. But what happens is they're saying I'm triggered and I'm still feeling pain because I just got triggered because of what you did. And he's going, I know I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm so da da da. But he goes into shame. Mm Kind of like what Luke was talking about last episode, right? And then she sees him in shame. And now she's like, dang it why am I still struggling with this? Why is this still a problem for me? And then I see women now who are tanking because of that. So this empathy is such a critical part. Yes. Empathy is so critical. And here's the important piece of that is that shame blocks ability to have empathy. And so when we go to a place of our shame and we're sitting in our shame, we're not able to be empathetic for the other person because Empathy is being able to really understand and feel the feelings the other person is feeling. Does not mean take their feelings upon us, but it means somewhere in our brain we can remember and go, oh, I remember what it felt like to be scared. My partner's scared right now. Oh, I don't want them to be scared. I'm so sorry you're scared. I know what that feels like. I don't know what exactly you're experiencing right now with the betrayal trauma, but I do know what scared feels like, and I don't wish that upon you. So this shame work is so important to do, and sometimes this is why it can take so long to learn how to have empathy 
is because they have to learn how to work through their shame. So can we just highlight the different words that you refer on us? So do you mind if I take some time and highlight those for the men? I would love that. And if you can even explain a little bit of what they mean, because we're throwing out these words and I don't want to assume if you're discovering for the first time, these skills that you're supposed to have. Okay. So here's some measurables for you. Take out a piece of paper and a pencil, write this stuff down. When I give you these four things, what you're going to use is your wife as a gauge to be able to analyze how you're doing these four areas. So you'll ask her, Hey, how am I showing up with this? She's going to tell you. You don't, what she's saying to say, okay, yep, she's right or she's wrong. You just take that information and you digest it and you think about it. You get with a trusted person, you get with God, you reflect on your values and see how you're doing. So remember, she's the gauge you use to reflect. Okay. So I just want to stop you there for a minute. So if you're using her as one of your gauges, hopefully there's many but recognizing that her truth is not automatically right or wrong, or her truth is not necessarily your truth. It's one of many gauges that you can use for information to, to recognize where you're at. Because a lot of times when we have years of behaviors that lead to the hiding and the secrecy that comes with infidelity, we often can have broken or skewed thinking. And we don't see that in ourselves. And this is men and women alike, that we can have these faulty core beliefs or these limiting beliefs, or we can have these skewed thoughts that we don't even recognize the inaccuracy of them. I think it's really important that we each do our own internal work at that point where we take these different gauges and we take this information. And then like you said, Luke, we are working through them, processing with them, going to trusted people, working with a therapist or going to a higher power or doing our journaling so we can dig deeper into them and really begin to recognize where we're at. Right. So first one is vulnerability, 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 vulnerability. This is probably like the most important one to me. This in our world is known as a weakness to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is something where you let your guard down. You allow yourself to be seen specifically by your wife. Okay. So however you're at, whether you're sad, angry, mad, distant, whatever it is that you're willing to share with her where you're at and how you're doing. Okay. Tease into something else too, which is the transparency piece. So this is the second one, transparency. Transparency is where you are allowed through vulnerability, somebody to see you. You go, this is what's going on with me. This is what I'm going through. This is what it looks like. It's so scary because you set yourself up to be what you're used to have happening is bad things happening, like being attacked or not being accepted. But this very thing of being able to allow somebody to see what your life looks like and how you're feeling emotionally and what's going on with you is the thing that your wife is going to be looking for to see if you're on the right path and the right track. Then what you have is the third one, which is humility. Now they all kind of go together, but what the humility looks like is that when she has pain or she's sharing or she's feeling, you're not making it about you, okay? You're showing up and you're learning how to not be a tough guy, to not have your stuff all together, 
I think about the humility part. So it's easy to see in my own life because when my wife approaches me and says, hey, Luke, I'm noticing this about you, how quickly my guard goes up and it always goes up, okay? If she wants to weigh in on how I'm doing in life, especially with my emotions, I'm gonna feel a twin, a tinge of pain, even if I have some humility going on. But if immediately I want to deflect, defend, deny, lack of humility completely. So that's one of the things that I'll notice. Well, and to that really quick, I will tell people when somebody approaches someone else with any type of criticism, defensiveness is a natural reaction, but it's how quickly you can work through that defensiveness. So while somebody who is not in a good place or really emotionally health unhealthy, they may stay in that defensiveness for days, weeks, months, years, the healthier the individual, the quicker they're able to work through that. And really healthy individuals almost within seconds can go, whoa, okay, defense is there. Okay, work through that. Okay, now I'm going to stop and I'm going to hear them. And so I like that as a gauge of how quickly am I able to move from this natural defensiveness that's normal, that's natural, but how quickly can I recognize that and then work through it so then I can become open and ready to hear what it is they're saying. And, And what they're usually saying is not actually about the person, it's about their experience that they're having. Mm -hmm. So can you be humble enough to set your own stuff aside to hear the experience they're trying to share with you? And it doesn't always come out that way. It doesn't come out pretty imperfect of I'm feeling this. It may come out in a very attacking way, but can you hear beyond that? Because they are having an experience themselves. That's such an important life skill in general. I mean, really such an amazing life skill to be able to do that. I would maybe hit rewind a minute to re-listen to what you just said there. I think that's, it's beautiful work. It's hard work. That's work of accessing, kind of taking what your brain's going to offer you and saying, nope, and accessing your higher self (laughs) to say, let me hear something. Maybe that's being said that isn't being spoken kind of a thing that takes skill. Well, and it takes years of getting there. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not going to happen in in a few weeks, a few months of recovery work. And that's where it goes back to what you said, Luke, earlier is this is a journey of learning and learning involves mistakes. And what we want to see is that these mistakes change with time, meaning that they're not making the same mistakes they were making yesterday. They're learning and growing and each step is another step forward. And so the mistakes you may have when they're still acting out sexually eventually change to where maybe their mistakes are they're losing their temper and then they're no longer losing their temper, but they're emotionally not reading cues from their children. But each one you're seeing this level of growth and healing and moving forward. And that will change and look different the healthier he gets. But individuals will always have patterns of hurting each other, unfortunately, because we're human. And then it goes, but where and how are we repairing? So would it be safe to say that if you're at this point in a relationship where he's in recovery, that your focus as the betrayed is going to be more on the connection issues, like looking for the vulnerability and transparency and empathy and less of, is he going to mess up again? Because I see a lot of women focusing on like, 
when's he going to mess up again? When's he going to screw up again? Is he going to slip? That's like their focus. And they're not paying attention to all of these other connection elements either. Well, and the reason their brain is doing that is their brain is on hyper alert. Oh, well, yeah. For, am I going to be hurt again? Because that was so painful. Yeah. I can't handle that. Right. So that's, that's normal. That's okay that they're in their, that place, but with time as more safety is created and that part of her brain starts to go, okay, I can relax a little. Then naturally we can start shifting that focus of, okay, I'm trusting that the sobriety may last longer. I'm starting to feel some safety there, but what is going with that? Are there still those residual addict behaviors? Am I seeing humility, transparency, empathy, and vulnerability? But when you're in those beginning stages, it's okay that your brain is not even thinking about that. Your brain is just trying to pay attention to, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? But with time that will shift. Okay. I want to ask something because I'm a little confused or I just want clarity. So I'm hearing it's not going to be perfect. But then if the woman knows that it's not going to be perfect, then how do we get to that point where it's like, okay, I know it's not going to be perfect and he might hurt me again. That's how she's interpreting this. And so I can't let go. I can't focus on the connection. He might hurt me again. So how do you know when to let go? How do you know when it's okay to let go? And I know you're saying like, okay, you need to build safety and have that. But if there's still, if I'm hearing you correctly and there's still this, part that it still might happen. I still might get hurt. Then I'm always going to have my fighting gloves on. When do you take them off? That's such a good question. And the reality is you will always get hurt at some point in every relationship in your life. Even with me and you, Amy, I love you to death and we do a great job working together, but probably at some time I'm going to hurt your feelings and you're going to hurt mine Unfortunately, because we're human and we're interacting together and there's always these miscommunications. The important piece that I want to point out is that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hurt you in this way to this level again. Like where I hear people say, I hate this. They're like, well, relapses are part of this. So just prepare for a relapse. I'm like, that is not helpful. And they don't have to be a part of this. Relapses do not have to be a part of this but there will still be a process of them learning and making mistakes. But what type of mistakes in what ways hopefully looks different and changes as they grow and progress? Okay. That's the clarification I needed. I think that's what I was missing. Misunderstanding is that there's, it doesn't have to look like, okay, yeah, they're going to have slips. They're going to relapse, but they might hurt you in a different way which is interesting, right? That's the whole paradox of intimacy anyways. In order to have real healthy intimacy, you have to be willing to risk losing that relationship. It's a total paradox. And if you're listening to this and you're going like, I can't handle, I can't handle that they may hurt me again. I just want to say again, very clearly, it does not necessarily mean that they're going to hurt you in this way into this level and actually something Mm. that was so game-changing for me. I remember being on a girl's trip, going to a conference about betrayal trauma. And I was saying like, I could never handle this again. If this ever happened, I would do me under, I could never handle it. And one of the other women, she said, uh, yeah, you could. She said, because the first time it came out, 
it knocked you so much off of your feet because you didn't even know this was possible. You didn't know what this could feel like. You didn't know that your relationship even had these things going on. And so you will never feel that same level of betrayal you did that first time. Like, yes, future betrayals are still painful, but that first time to that level that you felt, it's not going to be like that again in the future. And not only is it not going to be like that again, you have so much more knowledge, so many more skills than you did at that time that you're not in the same place either. So moving forward, it can't look the same. It will look different. So humility leads into empathy. So if I'm not self-protecting, I've got some humility going on. And then what I'm doing is, is because I've got some humility, I can go through a place of empathy and seek to understand what's going on with her. What is she scared of? Where is she coming from? What does this look like for her? A lot of questions. Me seeking to understand what this is like for her and not coming from a place of self-protecting. And this isn't an easy place to get to at all, but it says everything that you need to know about a man and his recovery. If he has no empathy, it says what you need to know. Yes, empathy is such an important piece of recovery work. And if you are interested in learning more about how to have empathy or what empathy looks like, I highly, highly, highly suggest listening to Brene Brown's Men, Women, and Worthiness. Because in this, she talks about shame and how the antidote to shame is empathy. And she goes through step by step and talks about how to have that empathy and what it looks like in men and women alike. And just a quick reminder of what empathy is. Empathy is really being able to let yourself experience to some degree, not going to a place of now you're the victim, but experiencing so you can understand more of what their experience is feeling like in the moment. Because times where my partner can go or times where Luke can go to this place of actually thinking and feeling of what it feels like to be scared when I'm scared, then he sees me as, oh, whoa, she's feeling scared. That I, That's the last thing I want her to feel. He shows up in a very different way when he's able to do that type of empathetic work. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's just so fascinating to me how this concept of intimacy, real, healthy, fierce intimacy is such an integral part of our relationships. I remember Luke saying at one point, that how he would get frustrated with men making comments about if he would speak or whatever. And, oh, you're so great. And you're so amazing. And look at how far you've come. And then the attention's around him. And he's like, I just got to normal. <laughs> I didn't do anything amazing. I did all this work just to get back to normal. And I think that was such an interesting comment to me because I'm like, Ooh, if we could look at it that if that way, if, if, the one who betrayed could look at himself as I was living below my value system, below the value system that I know my partner is okay with. And all of this work and recovery just got me back to that level playing field with her. <laughs> right. And now that we're on level playing field, we need to start building something that, like we mentioned earlier, the majority of the marriages never had in place to begin with. And that is these healthy levels of intimacy, verbal, cognitive, spiritual, emotional, psychological, sexual, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but that puts it in such 
maybe it's because I like checklists and I like levels <laughs> and I'm seeing it this way. And I'm like, gosh, that makes so much sense. And it feels less scary in my mind, if I can look at it that way, like he just got back to this level playing field. And what if I could look at it that way? What if now I could start to try and look at our relationship in this place where we can start building something that maybe needed to be built before we ever got married? I, I don't want to have in relationships like one up and one down. So where we were talking about putting her on a pedestal or putting him on a pedestal of, oh, look at all the amazing recovery work you've been doing. Pedestals don't help either of you. We want to move those out. And even as we're talking about vulnerability, humility, transparency, and empathy, even the betrayed partner has to get to the place in the relationship where they can show up with those as well. Now, obviously it may take years Mm-hmm. before we get to that place where there's enough emotional safety created in a relationship to get to this. But that is something women, as you're listening to this or betrayed partners, that that is part of your work too, is being able to have empathy for them, not acceptance for those poor behaviors, but empathy for them, having real human experiences and empathy for them as they're trying to learn and grow with skills that they may have never been taught that they're discovering for the first time and you being vulnerable with how you really think and how you feel and being able to, instead of just coming at him with the anger, which I totally get and I totally validate, <laughs> but underneath the anger, there's always a tender, vulnerable feeling that you're trying to protect. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling so lonely. I'm feeling so hurt, I'm feeling so rejected, right? Mm-hmm. So being vulnerable with those deeper feelings and transparency, sharing where you're really at. There are so many women that I work with. I'll say, have you ever shared that with him before? Well, no. Right. Is, right. is he emotionally safe enough to share it with him? If the answer is no. Okay. But if the answer is yes, but I'm not ready or that scares me. Okay. Well, let's let that be something that we start working towards. Right. Because transparency is part of a healthy relationship. And then humility. I remember Luke and I used to do these check-ins that, and we're a little bit further along in our recovery, but one of them was say two apologies. And in the beginning, my apologies were so pathetic. They were like, oh, I'm sorry that I slammed the door when I got out of the car, even though you weren't there. And his apologies were like, I am so sorry that that one time that we're at my parents' house and I didn't pay attention to you. And I know that hurt your feelings. And I know it was like four years ago, but I'm really sorry that at my parents' house, you a lot of times felt like I ignored you. And, and I was like, yeah, you owe me way better apologies. And it took me a long time, but me doing those two apologies on a daily basis was so important in my recovery because it helped me start to realize that I'm not on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. I have things to apologize to. I want to have self-awareness. I want to be part of a healthy relationship, which includes me being humble does not mean I'm a doormat, does not mean I don't have boundaries, but it means that I am humble in a way that I am authentically showing up in a relationship in a way that is not putting me on a pedestal above him. I think that's so powerful. I really thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. I think that is incredible tool to use. And, and again, I just think this is so hopeful. It would feel so hopeful to 
know that it's possible to have a healthy marriage, to have healthy intimacy and to get maybe, I know for some of you are thinking, I don't even know how to wrap my head around this, Amy, but maybe even start to get excited about creating this healthy intimacy together. What does this look like for us? What do we want our relationship to look like now? And start to build that in a way that it just would seem so exciting to me to know there's hope to do that, that it's possible when for so long it felt totally impossible. And the key to that is two individuals yes. who are willing to do this type of emotional work. Yes. And while the checklist of having sobriety and, you know, providing financially and showing up and being helpful around the house and taking kids and doing those things that maybe you weren't doing before, or you're continuing to do are nice and helpful. While all of those things are helpful, we have to have this deeper emotional work to be able to build any real connection with each other. So one final question, then if you are in a relationship and you're seeing that your spouse is not having empathy and vulnerability and transparency and honesty, is that now their job to help point this out and explain it and teach them? What do you do with that? Tell the woman who's maybe listening to this and she's like, okay, that's great. I'm not seeing him do this. So now what? Well, absolutely. She's welcome to share her experience of these things that you're doing while they're really good. I am not getting this other emotional piece. And I would like you to figure out how to do that. If this is something you've never learned before, to just think that all of a sudden you'll start doing it is really not realistic. So I would highly suggest finding somebody who is specifically trained whether it be a therapist or a coach to help you discover how to have empathy, how to be transparent, how to be vulnerable and what that actually looks like. That's what I would recommend. So going back for her of like, yeah, your transparency could be saying, this is not working. Mm -hmm. I do not feel emotionally connected to you. This is not enough. I remember Luke and I on a walk one time, he had been sober for like six to eight months. And I just said, look, I'm not willing to settle for anything else anymore. So you either keep going and you figure out this piece or it's a deal breaker. And he was so blown away because he had been doing so much recovery work and it had been really good moving forward, but I needed more to be able to continue in the relationship. And so I just let him know that. And he went and figured it out by finding the right people to help him with those next pieces. So yes, she can speak her truth and let him know that it's just not working or that she needs more. Yeah. So empowering. I, I, that's such an empowering thing message to give women right now. That's a possibility that you have the right to do that. Give yourself permission to do that. That's very scary. That can be very, feel very overwhelming to a lot of women to express that. And so mm -hmm. for those who might be feeling that I'm hoping you feel empowered. And the reality is, is he can choose whether he wants to do that yep. type of work or not. Yep. Right. You're not forcing him. You're not controlling him. You have made a request or said, this is something that I need in a relationship. Do you want to do that? Yeah. 
I think about my son works right now at Wendy's and not to knock Wendy's publicly, but his particular location, it's kind of a train wreck. And at the end of the day, the boss gets to say, look, this is what I need you to do to have this job. Do you want to do it? And he gets to choose, you know what? Yes, I am willing to have you randomly schedule me and not tell me and show up, even though I totally think that's a terrible way to do it. (laughs) They get to choose. This is how we want to run our business. Do you want to work here? And if he doesn't, well, guess what? He got really tired of it, went and applied at Chick-fil-A and starts there in a week. He's thrilled. But (laughs) the way they were running it, the way that they were okay with, it wasn't okay for him. So he went and chose something different. Mm -hmm. So ultimately you do get to decide, this is what I want in a marriage. This is what I'm willing to accept and what I'm not willing to accept, but your partner, your spouse also gets to choose. Okay. Is that also the type of relationship I want to be in? Do I want to do the work to be in that type of relationship? The rewards of that type of relationship are so awesome. I can't even put into words what a different relationship my husband and I have today after we have both done our work and continue to do our work versus not. Mm. The reward is so worth it, but it's hard when you haven't even seen it before. So you don't know exactly what it is you're fighting for. Yeah. Keep doing your work. It's worth it. So even if he decides to leave or you decide it's not enough and you want to leave these levels of intimacy, these elements, you still have to work on in your next relationship. So if this is where you're finding yourself stuck or or sick of the work, (laughs) it's always going to be work. No matter what relationship you have, this is relational work. And it will benefit you in every relationship in your life, in your career, in friendships, in relationships, with your family, with yourself. Yes. (laughs) All of it. It's amazing. Fierce intimacy. Yep. It's worth the work. So thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you took some nuggets from it and we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks so much. We are so glad you joined us today. If you feel today's conversation not only benefited you, but maybe you have someone else in mind that would benefit from this conversation as well, then please feel free to share this podcast. I know for myself, I would have appreciated additional resources years ago when I felt so alone. Remember, one of the most powerful ways that we can honor ourselves is to choose recovery, to choose healing, and to choose you. Take care, everybody.